Hello and welcome along to the latest instalment of the Sport Huddle brought to you by Leeds Hospital Radio Sports Team. My name's Ian Marsden and tonight I'm joined by Stuart Taylor, Tony Chalk and the welcome return of Alan Breeze as well. And uh, we'll be chatting local football, local rugby league and a bit of Six Nations and then our sporting moments of the week. And uh, we'll start first um, uh, with Leeds United, um, Tony. They um, they got a point at home to Brighton, which in normal circumstances, that would be considered a really good result, given Brighton's record at Ellen Road. Um, but points at the moment, it, they need to be three points, don't they? Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think you've, you've hit the nail right on the head there. Yeah, it was in, in the context of, of, of how Brighton are doing, pushing for Europe, how they're playing. Uh, Leeds behind twice. Uh, coming back to get two all draw was a good result. But as you say... Uh, draws aren't going to cut it. Uh, I mean, if Leeds went unbeaten for the rest of the season and drew every game, the odds are they'd probably go down. It's wins that matter, and, and, and three points distinct from one is, is a big difference. Um, and uh, whilst nobody would expect them to beat Brighton, um, and nobody will expect them to win, for example, at Arsenal or Manchester City, uh, which are games that they've got to face, the ones against the teams in that block of nine who are covered by, like, five points at the bottom, the matches against them are the crucial ones. Uh, and one of those is coming up on, on Saturday, of course, at Molyneux away to Wolves. And Leeds haven't been great at, at, at converting those this season. I mean, last, if you look last season, the teams that went down, Watford, they took six points from them. Norwich, they took six points from them. Burnley, I think they took four points. I think they, they, they drew over at Turf Moor. So that was, uh, that, that was a pretty hefty contribution of 16 points from the teams that went down. This season, uh, it hasn't been quite as good. They've beaten Bournemouth and Southampton at home, uh, but they failed to beat Everton at home. They failed to beat Wolves at, uh, at West Ham at home. They did beat Wolves first game of the season, of course. Uh, and this is a massive game on Saturday again. I suspect we're going to be saying this probably three or four times before the end of the season, every time they face Crystal Palace or West Ham or, or uh, Bournemouth to go to, of course. Uh, and and uh, three points uh, really is what matters. I mean, I, again, in the ordinary run of things, you'd say, well, if they went away and got a point, that would be quite good. But they do need wins and they need to yeah. convert some of these. And that means they need to start taking chances because they, they've uh, too many times this season created a lot of chances, not converted them, conceded at the back and ended up either drawing a match they should have won or, or, or losing a game that they probably should have got something out of. So, uh, the statement you made at the beginning just sums everything up. Yes, it's wins that matter. It is indeed. So let's have a look at the other Premier League fixtures this weekend with teams in amongst it. Everton travel to Chelsea. Uh, Leeds are at Wolves, as we know. Southampton are at home to Tottenham. And Bournemouth travel to Aston Villa. Um, so there are some tough games there for the teams in and around Leeds. So um, a win for Leeds and the others not winning will actually be a really big help. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed for Leeds. They did win their, um, was it last season when they won 3-2? Luke Ayling scored uh, last winner. Yeah, from 2-0 from down, and, and I think it was yeah. after him and has got sent off, didn't he? Fairly early yes. in the second yeah. half. Mm. Um, the yeah. sub-goalkeeper had to come on, didn't he? So, um, mm. yeah, um, so... We'll see how um, Saturday looks. It could be, uh, I think, basically the league table, it's Crystal Palace downwards and Crystal Palace are 12th 
on 27 points. Leeds on 19th on 23. So there is only a four-point gap. Palace have to come to Ellen Road, as do Forest. Um, so Leeds have got to play Bournemouth as well, as Tony, as Tony said. So it's still in their hands, but they have to make sure they turn draws into victories. Um, FYI, uh, Brighton have uh, probably a uh, the most difficult fixture you could ever wish for this weekend, don't they, Alan? Are, are Brighton playing this weekend? I think they're playing in the <laughs> FA Cup, are they not? Oh, oh no, no, I think they're trying to go into Europe or something, aren't they? No. <laughs> yeah, Brighton are at home to Grimsby Town in the FA Cup quarter. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, since you mentioned it, um, I would yes. chip in here. Um, the, the, the last time, the last time uh, Grimsby beat Brighton in Brighton, uh, it was um, September the something, uh, 20, 2002, and they followed it up with, would you believe, a 6-5 win at home to Burnley. Now, should Grimsby repeat those two results, they'll be in the cup final. And that's Europe, because um, either Man United or Man City will be in the other half. Uh, so... You know, it's just incredible. Uh, but I wasn't going to raise any of that. I, my moment of the week was going to be something entirely different. That's fine, Alan. I brought it up because Leeds played Brighton uh, last week, so it was kind of there. So um, I thought I'd uh, do the honours for you. Um, Stuart, can yes. we talk Huddersfield Town? <laughs> I think we've better had. Yes. Um, <laughs> although I'm not sure Huddersfield fans will want us to talk Huddersfield Town. Um Mm. I will say that I was there in midweek where they were playing Norwich. They drew 1-1. The first half was, um, how can I put this tactfully, Um, not very good. Um, The second half was a little better and got the goal. Um, But, yeah, it's, again, like Leeds, draws draws mean nothing at at this time of year. And can I just ask a question before Stuart um, speaks? Um, I watched I watched a little bit of it, just snippets on the television, and and I just think Huddersfield players like myself must have been utterly confused. I was watching this thing, and the team in yellow scored, and I thought that was Norwich, but it wasn't. It, no. it was it was no wonder they didn't win. Yeah, that's, that's why they didn't win. Um, Stuart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, points, not good enough at this time of year, but are they already down? Yeah, well, I'll just shake my head first and get back to the podcast. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> clear my head. I was trying to work out what's been going on in the last few minutes, but uh, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> are they already down? Um I'm sorry, uh, town fans, but yes, I think they are actually. Um, uh, you witnessed uh, earlier on this week their performance against uh, Norwich. I understand that, as you, as you just said, that was apparently appalling. I think somebody used the word in the first half. Uh, I was talking to Bill Dale, actually, who was there with you, and yes. uh, he just summed it up as appalling. Uh, I've seen town a couple of times since Neil Warnock arrived. I saw him the f- in the first game when they beat Birmingham City, and it was like the return of the Messiah. And uh, we, we thought then, well, maybe it might happen. But, uh, you know, Neil Warnock with a record eight promotions uh, under his belt, I, I think potentially, I think this is just one step too far. Um 
you know, as I think I've said previously, it's probably no surprise in that Neil Warnock is, you know, is the fourth manager of the season, effectively, yeah. with uh, Carlos Corbran leaving. He conducted the whole pre-season and left immediately before uh, the season started. Uh, they lost their two um, arguably best players, Lewis O'Brien and Harry Tuffalo, late on in the summer transfer window to Nottingham Forest, weren't mm-hmm. able to replace them. Um uh, they've had two uh, coaches they had a go with Danny Schofield. That didn't work out. Um, I think that was, you know, I think they should have probably put him in his interim and taken their time to, to find somebody with experience. They chose not to. Uh, I thought Mark Fotheringham uh, was not particularly welcomed by town fans. It turned out that turned out to be absolutely disastrous. Uh, and, and Neil Warnock has come in almost as a, you know, he answered the, the the call from his good friend and chairman Dean Hoyle, who basically said, "Can you?" I think Dean Hoyle recognises that the really, you know, the, the right to the bottom of the cliff face. Really, can you help us? Um, first game against Birmingham City at the John Smiths. Uh, you know, there were smiling faces, uh, but they were they were actually lucky to win that game. Birmingham could well have been two or three up after 20 minutes, actually, but uh, they 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 managed to pull it back and win. Since then, um, I think the own goal equaliser against the, against Norwich was their first goal in five games. Um, you know, Warnock is shuffling the pack every game, uh, four or five changes, trying to find a. Um, a formation that works and crucially as as Tony said you know, about Leeds it's about wins and scoring goals um, Town just can't find a goal they can't find a goal from anywhere and, and, and Warnock is starting with different forward form- formations every game just to you know, understandably, just trying to find a spark from somewhere, but but it's not happening. And, and I, I feel really, really sorry for Town fans, goodness me it's only what, four seasons ago since they came down from the Premier League yeah. um, you know with a with a wad full of cash uh, they've had you know three seasons of parachute payments but goodness me it's um, it's been four years really of, of, of misery and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say it looks as though it's going to end up with town in League One next season yeah I think so I can't be any more optimistic than that no no I, I think even Huddersfield fans are, are in the same place they are six points adrift. Mm. They have uh, nine games left. Um, but most of those nine games are up against teams in the top ten. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's certainly um the last chance saloon, um, mm. they say. Um they are away at Millwall this Saturday and they're gunning for the playoffs. So that's not gonna be an easy game either um so um yeah um not the greatest of times for Huddersfield Town at yeah. the moment just one um, one thing I would say and it's probably what what is doubly painful for town fans is that uh, Blackpool took the decision to bring in another veteran uh, into the management hot seat in Mick McCarthy um and uh, you know what did they do uh, <laughs> earlier on this week they went and thrashed Queen's Park Rangers by 6-1 yes. um so, yeah. so that's uh, that's a double whammy, really, when it you see really a, a similar veteran uh, waving his magic at uh, the home of the donkeys. But there we go. Mm. 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 The donkey um, sanctuary. Yes. In League Two, we'll quickly move on. Um, our League Two correspondent, Alan. Um, Bradford doing really well. 
Um, they're at home to Hartlepool this Saturday, uh, one o'clock kickoff apparently, and then Harrogate are at home to Barrow um, at three o'clock. Harrogate definitely need wins, um, but we'll start with Bradford. Uh, Alan, they're doing they're doing good guns, aren't they? They are. They've been very very consistent. Uh, surprisingly, there are only losses in the sort of immediate past. Uh, at home to Rochdale, bottom of the pack. Uh, and at home to Barrow, uh, both by a single goal, but, um, they've, they've really had to scramble a few draws every now and then. Uh, they're currently, uh, in sixth place. They're four points clear of the eighth place team. So it's starting to look as though they're going to be contenders for, for the playoffs. And I think maybe the top three for automatic is, a wee bit too much for them. Um, I mean, to be honest, um, Mark Hughes has had, uh, through his various acquisitions, um, got a lot of very experienced, solid professionals there. They've got top league scorer in Cook. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually fairly confident now. Um, two or three months ago, I thought Bradford were going to miss out in the playoffs. I think they'll get to the playoffs. Um, We've still got one or two tricky fixtures at home, of course. Um, tomorrow, they ought to beat Hartlepool. Um, everybody else seems to. And, um, not, sorry, not, uh, it's this coming, coming weekend. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to some outstanding commentary on that game. Uh, Stuart may want to sort of disagree with me, but, um, uh, it is a game, hopefully, that um, Leeds Hospital Radio will be covering. Uh, we're always well looked after at Bradford. Um, the pies aren't quite as good as they used to be, but it's usually a good atmosphere. There'll be 20,000 there, and a Tier 4 football, incredible. Um, comfortable win for Bradford for me. Brilliant, thanks. And Harrogate, uh, home to Barrow, they they are six points um, above the dreaded dotted line, um, but they did lose three-one to Crawley, who are that team um, underneath that dotted line. So, um, do you think Harrogate um, are safe, or do you think they just need a few more wins? Uh, well, I, I think they'll survive. Uh, you mentioned they lost to Crawley, but they also beat Doncaster away two-nil. Mm. Um, they're, they're no idiots. Um, and um, I really do hope they they stay up. It's uh, a lo- obviously a local game for us. Um, it's um, if not owned, it's certainly um, its chairman has put a lot of money in, and his son's managing the place. And they're a friendly club. And I wish them every success. Um, I think it will be up and down, and could go to the last game of the season. Um, whether they'll be it's Barrow at the weekend. Yes. Yeah. Barrow have, have, have turned uh, round in the last 18 months. They were whipping boys, having been promoted. Uh, I, I, if I were out, um, Harrogate, I'd take a draw at the moment and hope it's enough to keep them uh, safe. Brilliant. Um, yeah, Stuart, tell us about Bradford City coverage this um, the next um, two games, so Saturday and Tuesday. Yep, uh, we uh, plan to be at Valley Parade for the Hartlepool game. Uh, it is a one o'clock kickoff, Alan quite rightly says, and uh, that's good to hear that he knows it's one o'clock because he's one half of the commentary team, um, alongside me. 
So, oh, wow. <laughs> Statler and Waldorf together. <laughs> so, uh, so if you're listening to this podcast immediately prior to the kickoff on Saturday at one o'clock, then do join us. Do join us. And uh, we we'll have a chat. We'll have a chat. Yes, and we hope to see Andy Cook, the legend, the, the legend that is Andy Cook, add to his twenty goals and five assists so far this season. And then on Tuesday night, um, it's the big one. Um, Bradford in well, currently in six. Hopefully, uh, will have advanced as a result of Saturday, and they play Carlisle United, who are currently in second place. Uh, our uh, broadcasting colleague Alistair Kirkpatrick. Uh, we hope he'll be there, although he's on jury service, so uh, the jury is out as to whether he'll make it. I call it the Alistair Kirkpatrick Derby uh, because he's uh, born and bred Carlisle, and uh, but had a season ticket at Bradford City for some time, having lived in the in the city for uh, a number of years. Uh, but we will be covering the game, and it'll be your. your uh, it's, it's you, Ian, isn't it? You it is. alongside Kane Hall. Yes. Um, so for hospital listeners, if you're unfortunate enough to still be on hot, in hospital next Tuesday evening, then uh, that's going to be a real tasty game and uh, w- worth tuning in to listen to Ian and Kane uh, bring you um, live coverage of that match, of that really important match. It is. I've, um, I've never been to Bradford um, Media, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh-huh. You lot have all said how good it is. So, yeah, yeah looking forward to this. Because, um, can I just point out there are two clubs in Bradford, Park Avenue, who are probably playing Scunthorpe United next season. Don't go there. Um, do go to Valley Parade. Yes. Or whatever it's called nowadays. Uh, it'd yes. be awfully, you'd be awfully alone if you go to the Horsfall Stadium. Yes. Um, I, I promise I'm going to Valley Parade on Tuesday. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Alan, for looking after me there. Much appreciated. Um. Right, we're going to talk Six Nations. It's the last weekend of the Six Nations. And it's um, Ireland are one game away, Tony, from the Grand Slam. Um, Do they deserve it? I think they do, don't they? Yeah, without doubt, I would say, yeah. Um, If there's any doubt, then, uh, you know, to watch the performance uh, up at Murrayfield on Sunday, uh, Scotland pushed them for the first half. Uh, Ireland picked up uh, a couple of, of, of uh, pretty bad injuries. Really. Well, certainly one very bad one, Ian Henderson breaking his arm. Uh, and then uh, she and the, the hooker had to go off. The replacement hooker, Kelleher, came on. He had to go off early in the second half. So uh, with just a point in the game uh, at that stage, um, Ireland only had a one-point lead uh, at 8-7, and they had uh, no hooker. Um, which you can get away with in the scrums to an extent because um, rugby union scum, scrums have become a bit like rugby league scrums in terms of where the scrum half puts the ball these days. Uh, so you can get away with that. And Kean Healy came on and did a, a good job as a makeshift hooker, uh, which showed up the scrummage. The main problem was always going to be the line out, of course, because uh, they didn't have a specialist guy to throw into the line out. So it ended up with Josh van der Fleer doing that job. And for a reason that sort of slightly escapes me, Scotland never really seemed to twig to the fact that Ireland had a uh, a stand-in thrower in. So he threw sensibly to number two at the front of the line all the time. But Scotland never really put a man there to try and challenge it and disrupt it. And so uh, um, that that seemed strange tactics to me. They seemed to miss a trick there. But despite all the adversity, um, and of course they lost Gary Ringrose uh, later on as well with uh, sort of bad concussion, um, that they got through, they got a couple of tries in the second half, well worked, 
and they won quite comfortably. And as you say, they're on for the Grand Slam. And they are facing, of course, an England team that I uh, that I watched at Twickenham on Saturday uh, lose by 53 points to 10 against France. I don't know whether we should take a, a minute's silence at this stage or, or just <laughs> reflect on the uh, superb nature of the French player because France were outstanding. Uh, I mean, England, you'd have to say, were just totally inept. Uh, the, the amount of drop possession, um, uh, missed moves, poor tackles on occasions, bad defence, uh, and they were totally cleaned out at the breakdown. Uh, uh, quite a few turnovers, penalties conceded, uh, and, and the French back row really just had a field day. Uh, and, and France were outstanding. For the first time this season, really, they were outstanding. Uh, and you could see why they are, are one of the favourites for the World Cup. Um, and England, at their best, I think, would have uh, would have struggled to cope with that. But they yeah. were they were terrible. Uh, they made uh, one or two changes. Marcus Smith has, has paid the price. I feel a bit sorry for him actually because he was getting such slow ball that he really couldn't do anything with it. But but Farrell's back in at fly half. Pleased to say they picked Henry Arundel on the wing. About time too. Um, Ollie Lawrence, who's had a pretty decent season, he's out injured, so they brought back Mano Tuilangi in the centre. Um, and Oli Chesham, who's done well in, in the in the second row this season, he's been one of the brighter sparks, really. He's done an ankle in training, so uh, Dave Ribbons comes into the second row. But I'm surprised that some others have kept their places. Um, I, I can't understand why he's persisted with Van Portfleet at scrum half. I think Mitchell would have been a better option. And for the life of me, I, I don't know what Alex Dombrandt's doing in there because he had a, a pretty poor game against Scotland uh, and he had an even worse game. He was totally anonymous on Saturday. So so quite how he's kept his place, uh, I must say, I don't know. Uh, and on the face of it, you'd have to say that this should be a pretty easy island victory. Obviously, they're without ring rows in the centre, but Robbie Henshaw's come back in. So, um, that, you know, they're not really going to miss out too much there. Uh, and obviously they've had to pick Ryan Baird in the second row to play, replace Henderson. Um, but uh, Sheehan's fit at hooker, uh, uh, and uh, so the, the, the pack looks very strong again, I must say. Caelan Doris as well, he had to go off injured. I should have mentioned him. He was yet another one who had to go off injured at Murrayfield, but he's yeah. fit for Saturday. Um, so Ireland should be far too strong for England, you'd think. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I think, to be honest, if, if Ireland win by 12 to 15 points, that won't be a bad result for England. Uh, the other two matches, uh, Wales in Paris against France, based on what I saw of France and what I've seen of Wales thus far this season, I don't give Wales much hope there. Uh, and Ireland, uh, oh, sorry, Italy going up to, um, uh, to, to, to Murrayfield. Well, Scotland have had a pretty decent season, but as I suspected, when they met the two really big ones, they would come unstuck, and they have against France and Ireland. Uh, but they've played some decent rugby. Italy have been a bit like Leeds United, really. They've played some attractive rugby, created a lot of chances, not taken any of them. For the, as a result of that, they're going to win the wooden spoon. So I hope they play well on Saturday. I hope they maybe take one or two of their chances, but uh, you'd ex expect Scotland to win that. So uh, it looks like Ireland top, France second, Scotland third, England fourth Wales fifth Italy sixth that's my prediction for the uh, final table there you go get your money on that people yeah um, put your money on that one Tony <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'd win much unfortunately no. I don't uh, think you find any bookie giving you great odds on that yeah you'll just win your money back um thanks a lot Tony for that um quickly into Super League um and our expert analysis from Stuart um uh, regarding Super League 
Um, the Rhinos are in action right now as we record away at Castleford. Um, but last week they had a, a simple win in the end against a, a Wakefield team who are struggling big time. That's right, Ian. Super League round four last weekend. Um, before we come on to the Rhinos, the the um, well, there were two highlights. Really. The, the heavyweight clash between which kicked off Super League round four last Thursday evening between Wigan and Catalans, and Catalan won at Wigan by 18 points to 10 uh, to retain their unbeaten record so far this season alongside Warrington. And um, but the shock really of the uh, the Super League round four last week was um, Lee Leopards, the um, recently promoted Lee Leopards, uh, beating the Super League and World Club champion St. Helens by 20 points to 12. That was a right old turn up. Um, St. Helens recently um, come back from Australia, of course, having beaten uh, Penrith in the World Club World Club uh, Championship uh, final started off Super League with a win, but then, uh, if you recall, two weeks ago, Rhinos went to St Helens and won with a last-minute drop goal. Um, they, ex- well, they were fully expected to get back on track against Lee, but Lee turned them over, um, which is good news. Um, yeah, moving on to Rhinos. Um, Rhinos just clicking into gear now uh, after two. Losses to start the season. They got absolutely toweled at home by Warrington. First game of the season. Uh, lost the second game. Uh, but um, so had that uh, famous win against St. Helens. And, and, and last Friday night we really was a routine victory against uh, bottom of the table Wakefield. Two um, interesting piece facts, I think, about that game. Uh, firstly, it was nil-nil at half time. That doesn't happen very often. No. Um, at uh, Rhinos ran in five tries in the second half to uh, to win 26 points to nil, and that was the third time in successive successive games that Wakefield had failed to register a single point. So I, I I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I guess that's not happened too often in the Super League era era that uh, a, a team. Uh, fails to register a single point in three successive games. So uh, that's Wakefield in real trouble. And I, I, I fear for them, I have to say, uh, this season. Um, they're currently propping up the league alongside Cass, who are also uh, nil and four. But I, I think Cass have got enough class <laughs> uh, to um, uh, to sort themselves out. And we, we, they've had some off-field issues that we've referred to previously, which we won't discuss on this programme. But... Uh, uh, you know, new coach in charge now after Lee Radford's uh, departure, and I think uh, they've got enough in them probably to pull away. But uh, I, I, it's just looking bleak for, for Wakefield, uh, unfortunately, one of our uh, West Yorkshire sides. Um, but no, uh, and a good opportunity as we record, as you quite rightly said, they're, they're playing cast this evening. Uh, well, it's not the jungle anymore, is it? I don't know what it is now, but um, the the. the, the, the that's the one. Um, the the playing in Castleford. Um, I say Castle Norton Four. So if Rhinos can can secure a victory there, then uh, they really are on a roll. Uh, one final point: um, the Giants, Huddersfield Giants, who beat Cass in round four, thirty-six-six. They're at home to uh, Wigan tomorrow night at the John Smith Stadium. And um, if you are listening to the first edition of this recording in Lee's Hospitals. Um, before 
eight o'clock on Friday evening, then we will be covering uh, Huddersfield Giants versus Wigan. Kane Hall, who's one of our uh, uh, senior uh, rugby league broadcasters, will be at uh, will be at the John Smiths to bring full match commentary of Huddersfield Giants versus Wigan. Brilliant stuff. It's good that we are covering the Giants as well. They're a really good, nice club. And mm. uh, the birthplace of rugby league as well, Huddersfield. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, good stuff that we're doing there. So, gentlemen, um, you won't believe this. Um, we're pretty much a bang on time. Um, so um, our sporting moments of the week, and we'll start with Alan Breeze. And this is probably yep. where it starts to go downhill. <laughs> Well, Annie, uh, well, we'll get this out of the way quickly so the two superstars can uh, can <laughs> fill you in. Um, I, I was going to mention uh, a bizarre incident at Newport uh, when uh, the Bradford goalkeeper um, forgot the fact that um, the Newport Stadium, at Rodney Parade, I think it's called, is also used for rugby. And he, he was out of, his, out of his area and he picked up the ball um, but he was within the 22 or 25 or whatever they call it down there. I don't know. But I mean, it was, that was really funny. Thankfully, he was only booked and not sent off, and the referee yeah. took it in good humour. But um, and this could be this, but I'm not going to mention that. Um, this this could be a unique uh, sporting moment because I'm going to talk about a future sporting moment, oh, and I don't recall that ever been covered before on this program. No, no. So, but this is a future sporting moment. And it's, I'm going to do it in the form of a quiz because uh, on Saturday uh, we don't we, we have normally covered uh, Leeds, uh, Tykes, Carnegie or whatever they call rugby union. And um, uh, I'm looking to our aforementioned president, uh, Tony Chalk, who used to do commentary on them. But since they've slipped down the leagues regrettably and are playing at um, uh, uh, Bramhope, um, they've now got a home game against Chinna and I thought well I better have a look at that because I've got no idea where Chinna is so my first question is where is Chinna and the first person to put the hand up uh, gets the opportunity to answer the question now Tony's remained solitary silent on this uh, that either means he doesn't care or he's no idea where Chinna is but <laughs> Stuart Taylor who's obviously been around a bit more than Tony he put his hand up. So, Stuart, what is the answer to the question, where is Chinna? Well, it, it, it's, uh, I know roughly where it is. It's uh, sort of Thames Estuary. To, it's a lot, it's uh, near the Thames. I think it's Buckinghamshire, actually. I think it qualifies. Oh, no, no, no. I'd quit one. No, no, no. I'm not accepting that. Uh, it's in <laughs> South Oxfordshire. So, anyway, moving on. Very close. It's very, the, very close. The second close. part of my uh, sporting moment of the week is, um, where do Chinna play rugby union? Mm. I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. Uh, Chinna has a population of, uh, I've just lost it, 5,924. So it's not in Chinna. Do they play at Eifley Road, the Oxford University ground? Um, no, no. Tony, are you still awake, Tony? Yes, I'm still here. Yes, uh, you're going to tell us it's uh, the, the, they play the home matches at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Kassam well, Stadium. The Kassam They play their home fixtures at Tame. Now I've been to Tame, ah, um, and I'm not going to ask any more questions about it. But I will just. That's in Berkshire, isn't it? I will make two observations about yes. it. Number one, 
It's five miles from Chinup with a population of 13,273. So I'm sure Chinup are currently in ninth place on 50 points. They're going to get a good hammering by the Tykes, who are uh, um, 13th with 31 points. Um, but my, my final bit of this is um, now we've established that they play in tame. Is which famous referee, uh, football referee, um, comes from Tame? Roger Millwood. I thought he was a rugby league player of yesterday. Yeah, you seem, do you mean Roger Milford? But he's from that, Bristol. That's, that's he... the one. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Anyway, I think, um, Ian, uh, you, you didn't answer any of those questions, but you've won that because neither of the other two lads have got any idea what I was talking about. Brilliant. <laughs> so and can we just... I'm on, the fact I'm on your um, level, Alan, is both frightening and um, scary in equal measure. Um, brilliant. Thank you <laughs> so can, much. Can we, can we just establish the answer to that question about the refer- famous referee? For yeah, no, Ian was right. Roger Milford. Phil mm. Milford. Right, well, yeah. I'll t- so I t- I'll take half a point for that. Because, uh, we don't. <laughs> you don't get half a point for Roger. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's all gone to pop. Now, uh, Stuart, quickly, help. Yes. Your sporting moment of the week. Well, I, think, uh, I, I think I ought to interject here, actually, and, and, and give my sporting uh, yes. moment. <laughs> yes. Because, uh, because I think Stuart's so, trumps mine, you see. So I, yes. I think his is an even better one. Go um, and, <laughs> and mine, mine uh, comes from uh, Cheltenham, the uh, Cheltenham Festival on this week, of course. Um, the pinnacle of, of national hunt racing. Uh, and the, the big race on the first day uh, is always the champion hurdle. Um, and this year it was won by a horse called Constitution Hill. Uh, which was heavily backed beforehand and had had good form coming into it. And it absolutely destroyed the rest of the field. Mm. Uh, one at a canter, really, racing away, one by, I think, officially by nine lengths. Um, and this really does look like one of the great champion hurdles. I mean, I think back to the likes of, uh, what, Night Nurse, Sea Pigeon, uh, Monksfield, when I, when I first started watching it, and um, then you you think also of the of the three time winners that there have been. I mean, there were a couple before I was born, but uh, uh, Persian War, see you then, Isterbrack, three time winners of the Champion Hurdle. If this horse stays fit, this will join them uh, because this is a class horse, and no, in my in my mind, no horse is gonna is gonna challenge Constitution Hill. Uh, over a two, a two mile hurdle in the next uh, couple of years so I, I imagine that uh, he will win uh, three champion hurdles and go on to, to, to join the other greats it was also a, it was a ninth win in the race for Nicky Henderson as well the trainer and so he's got a, a pretty good record in it uh, mm. and uh, it was a pleasure to watch uh, the question I suppose that will then be asked is uh, can he go on and uh, convert to uh, jumping over the fences in steeplechases uh, and if so, will he be good enough to to win a gold cup? Now, only one horse has ever done the champion hurdle and gold cup double. Night Nurse came very close, uh, a couple of uh, champion champion hurdles and a second in the gold cup. Uh, but an, only one horse has ever done the double. Um, and I'm sure one of you will be able to tell me who it is. Ah, <laughs> Dawn Run. Dawn Run, well done, Stuart. Yeah, yeah. Dawn Run uh, in the in the late eighties um, yeah. uh, with John Joe O'Neill on. John Joe, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, so, uh, watch out for Constitution Hill. This is a real horse. Mm. 
Brilliant. Mm. Thanks a lot, Tony. And Stuart, you can finish this week's show. I will. Uh, and before I do, I'll just clarify. I did for three years, no, four years. Um, I lived uh, no more than nine miles from Chinna. Uh, we were in Buckinghamshire and the, the border between Buckinghamshire and South Oxfordshire sort of moves. It's about the border between Lancashire and Yorkshire. It moves every year. So I think I was probably right on that score. And yeah. um, I, I am claiming the point on Roger Milford. I knew who I meant. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we will uh, we will move on. Um, yeah, so Tuesday at uh, at Cheltenham was just uh, one of those days, really, and a, a, a really emotional day. It was fantastic to see uh, that, as Tony says, Constitution Hill could be anything. It was a fantastic uh, victory in the champion. But um, in the race immediately following that, um, it was the mayor's hurdle, uh, and it was named in honour of a 13-year-old Jack de Bromhead, who's the, who was the son of one of the leading Irish trainers, uh, Henry de Bromhead. Uh, and, and very sadly, he died last September in a pony racing accident in Ireland. And, uh, he was, um, he was a budding jockey. Racing was in his blood. Um, and it was just a terrible, uh, a, a terrible accident uh, that left clearly the family um, absolutely bereft. Uh, and it was a lovely thing that uh, Cheltenham chose to uh, name this uh, race in uh, Young Jack's honour. And uh, Henry de Bromhead had one of the, uh, well, the joint favourite actually in Honeysuckle running in the race. Uh, started off 94 joint favourite. Now, this was effectively was always going to be Honeysuckle's last race. Uh, Honeysuckle uh, has won two champion hurdles. Um, it's won, well, now it, it had won at that stage. It, it won three times at the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, at that stage, it had got uh, 16 wins out of uh, 18 career starts. Um, but we're starting to wane, really. And uh, there are a number of horses who are expected to probably beat Honeysuckle um, earlier on this week. But uh, it was uh, an absolutely thrilling race. And uh, uh, Rachel Blackmore, the uh, superstar jockey who was riding Honeysuckle, um, gave it a, an absolutely superb ride. And uh, really dug deep up that Cheltenham Hill, for those of you who know the finish at Cheltenham. Uh, been pressed all the way by Love Envoy, a, another Irish horse. But Honeysuckle went across the line by one and a half lengths. And there was not a dry eye in the house, I have to tell you. Uh, trained by Henry de Bromhead, father of young Jack uh, Brom, de Bromhead, who lost his life uh, last September. Um, and... Um, I heard I heard the race on on the radio actually, and I, I, I had a tear in my eye. I have to say, uh, Rachel Blackmore afterwards interviewed. She could hardly speak, and I have to say that Henry de Bombhead, uh, the trainer, father of Jack, gave the most dignified interview after after the race. It was uh, it really was incredibly emotional, incredibly touching, uh, and. Um, yeah, it, it was a day, I think, that the 65,000 who were at Cheltenham will never forget and the millions on TV that were watching will never forget. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Stuart, for that. And thank you to all three of you, Stuart, Alan and to Tony for this week's um, show for the Sport Huddle. Um, we'll be back next week. 
and we hope you get well soon and get out of hospital. Uh, just a quick rundown of what's coming up on Leeds Hospital Radio Sport. We've got Huddersfield Giants against Wigan on Friday night. We have Bradford City against Hartlepool at one o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And then on Tuesday, we have got Bradford City against Carlisle United. And that's on Tuesday night. So um, plenty of um, sport to keep you entertained if you're unlucky enough to be in hospital. So um, without further ado, I will um, say goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Get well soon and cheerio.